able to gather something from the scriptures. We know that your word will not come back void, Lord, and I just ask that you you bless this time and bless those who are here, Lord, and thank you for their faithfulness and just let this be a time of growth. And we love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Exodus chapter number 17. And Exodus 17 kind of deals with two stories. There's two parts to it. And they don't take very long. It's not a very long chapter. It's only 16 verses. But I want to just show you a few things tonight. And and try not to be too long tonight. And and explain a few things to you. If you look down at verse number 1. The Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin, after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses. That word chide, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that word right. Is that how you pronounce that word chide? I have a little bit of an accent, because I wasn't born in the U.S., so sometimes I say things wrong. But uh, chide, am I saying it right? I, I've got a, I've, I've got a uh, inferiority complex. I need, I need you to uh, help me with that. You got to give me a lot of compliments, and it helps. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that, that word "chide" there means to speak uh, despairingly. It means to be negative. It means to not be positive. You ever met someone who's chide? <laughs> you ever met somebody? You ask them, "How you doing?" Well, um, you know, and, and, but these people specifically were talking negatively about this uh, situation where they had no water. It says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Now look at verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water. Now does this sound familiar? And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore, does this sound familiar? Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Now, You'd think the children of Israel, 17 chapters into the book of Exodus, would have figured this out by now. And I'm not going to take the time to take you to all the passages. But in Exodus 14, when they were, remember they were entangled in the wilderness there, and and Pharaoh was coming out, and they were trapped there by the Red Sea. And what did they say? They said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the wilderness to kill us? Remember that? And then what did God do? He comes through at the last minute, not, in our case, you know, we look at it, at the last minute God came through. God came through right on time. God came through right when He planned. See, God's never late, and God's never early, He's just always right on time. And He came in right when He planned it, and He parted right seat, and the children of Israel went through. And you think they would have learned a lesson from that, but they didn't. Then in Exodus 15, remember that? Very similar to this time. They had water, but it was bitter water. And what they do? They murmured and they complained against Moses. And what did God do? He allowed them to, remember that he saw the tree there, represented the cross, he threw it into the bitter water to represent his sin, and he healed the water, which represented our sin being healed, And but he was able to physically feed them with water. Then remember Exodus 16, they were complaining about what? Food. So here they're complaining about their safety, they're complaining about their water, they're complaining about their food, and now they're complaining about water again. And every single time God came through for them, every single time God took care of them, but every single time you find these people doing the same thing, chapter after chapter after chapter, what are they doing? Complaining, murmuring, being negative. And let me tell you something, you you got to understand that, let me show you something real quickly, keep your finger there in Exodus 17, because as we study the book of Exodus and we watch these people just complain and complain, go with me uh, to Acts chapter number 7, Acts chapter number 7, keep your finger there in Exodus 17, go with me to Acts chapter number 7. The reason that I believe God gave us such a detailed account of these people is not to make the, the Israelites look bad, although granted, they look bad. 
The reason he did, though, is because if you look, go to Acts chapter number 7, and you look at verse number 38, I'd like you to notice how the Bible describes these people. In Exodus chapter number 7 and verse 38, the Bible says, This is he that was in the, notice the next word, church in the wilderness, with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. And I want you to notice something. All throughout Scripture, they're called the congregation, the children of Israel, the congregation in the wilderness. But in Acts chapter number 7, they're referred to as the church in the wilderness. You say, well, why, why are they referred to as a church, and everywhere else they're referred to as a congregation? Because that's what a church is, it's a congregation. I mean, that's just another way to, you know, another dictionary definition there to show you what the Bible explains to us, what verses, what words mean. A church is not a building. A church is not four walls and a roof. A church is not chairs and a pulpit. A church is a congregation. It's a, a group of people. And we're thankful for the building, praise God. We're thankful for uh, the ability to be able to minister to other people and grow. But that's not what a church is. And don't ever forget that. The church is a congregation. And specifically, these people in in the wilderness there were referred to as the church. You say, well, why is that? I believe they were referred to as the church. Go back to Exodus 17. Because we can often find that what they did there in the wilderness is what you and I do in the church. So what do we do in the church? We complain. We murmur. We're negative. And I want you to notice a few things. God always, and we've already talked about this before, but we'll Say it again because God said it again and He must want us to get it. If you look at verse 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journey from the wilderness of sin, after their journeys, notice verse 1, According to the commandments of the Lord. Do you see that? God takes the time in Scripture to let us know that when they journeyed, notice the context, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed, we're talking about where they traveled, right? That's what their journey means. The, the, the way they're going. They journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to... So their journeys or their travel was according to the commandments of Moses. Is that what it says? According to the commandments of who? The Lord. The Lord. So who's the one who's controlling their journey? Who's the one that's controlling their way? Who's the one that's controlling where they go? And God makes sure to tell us in verse 1. He says, you know, they journeyed according to the commandments of the Lord, and then they came, look what it says, and pitched in Rephidim. So how did they end up in Rephidim? By the commandments of the Lord. The Lord brought them there. And when they get there, what happens? There was no water for the people to drink. And they begin to complain and murmur, and God's just trying to explain to us again, that God brings them to a place where there's no water, and they try to get I'm the one who brought you here. So let me tell you something. Every time we open our mouths to complain, say, well, Pastor, why do you keep talking about uh, complaining so much on Wednesday nights? Because we're in Exodus. That's what it's about. <laughs> but every time you open your mouth to complain about a situation, and, and, and look, we all love to complain. I love to complain. But when we open our mouths to complain, we got to understand that God is the one that brought us wherever you're at today. God brought you here. You say, well, I don't, I don't like this church. Well, do you believe that God brought you to this church? And if he didn't, then find the church that God wants you to go to and go there. But, you know, he's like, well, I don't like my, my husband. Well, look, God brought you, you, wherever you're at in your situation, you know, no one forced you to marry that guy. You said I do. You're the one, you know, you look past the laziness and you look past the slop, you know, the fact that he's a slob and you look past, you know, uh, the fact that he's a little chunky and you look past all that, you know, when you were dating. Uh, but see, you say, you, here's what you understand. God gave you that. 
spouse. God gave you those kids. God gave you that job. Or God gave you whatever situation. God brought them here. And God knew that there was no water. To see, God had a plan. Look at verse 2. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, I want you to notice what Moses says. Very interesting phrase. He says, Why chide you with me? Wherefore. Now that word wherefore means for what reason or what purpose. He says, why are, you, why are you talking to me about this? He says, wherefore. He says, for what reason or purpose do ye tempt the Lord? That word tempt there? That word tempt is talking about provoking. And it's very interesting. Because you know that we can anger God with our actions, with our words. And Moses was trying to warn these people. He said, the more you complain, you're just provoking God to do something that you don't want Him to do. Look at verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Now I want you to notice something. Exodus 17 verses 1 through 3. We find the children of Israel complaining. And they're complaining about the fact that they want water. And they're not able to get water. And up to this point, God hasn't produced any water for them. But look at verse 4. And Moses cried unto the Lord. I want you to understand the difference between complaining and crying. Now that, you know, when we say the word cry today, we think of like, like a child cries and he's got like tears and he's like bawling. But the, the, the 1611 King James Version of the Bible, the, that word cry there means to, to, to cr- like cry aloud. It means to like yell or it means to like raise your voice. The, the Bible term for, for crying with tears is weeping. And the Bible says that Moses cried. It's talking about he's lifting up his voice unto the Lord saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take it in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and that people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now that story there of the rock, a very famous story, and we could go into a lot of details there, but I'm not going to because we're studying Exodus, and Exodus chooses to give us just a few uh, details there. Uh, additional books of the Bible expand on it, so we'll expand on it when we get to those uh, books of the Bible. But it's a very interesting uh, story there where God tells, and, and it all has meaning, the rock represents the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you'll find that all throughout Scripture, the rock refers to God, and refers to the Lord, and refers to, to Jesus Christ. But he goes up to the rock, and he, and, and he, he smite, uh, smokes it there uh, with, with the stick, and it cracks open, and it provides water. But here's what I want you to understand. For, for the beginning of the chapter, they come complained and nothing happened. In one verse, one man cried unto the Lord and God provided water. Let me tell you something. Complaining does nothing to change your situation, but crying unto the Lord does. Do you understand that? Complaining, you you, you know, we complain about everything. And and it has nothing to change nothing, but praying and weeping and crying unto God and going to God with the issue. Instead of complaining about God, why don't you just cry to God? And that fixes things. It wasn't until Moses cried unto the Lord that God said, okay, here's what I want you to do. And let me tell you something. God brought them to that location. Remember the commandments of the Lord? They fixed and referred God brought them to that location because He wanted them to find out that there was no water. And He wanted them to cry unto the Lord so He could say, hey, I've got a rock that will 
produce water. But instead what they do, they didn't ask, they just complain. And Moses says, you're going to provoke the Lord to do something He doesn't want to do. And Moses, of course, that great intercessor. And you'll find, as we study the life of Moses, he's constantly interceding between God and the children of Israel. By the way, study the book of 1 Timothy. That's, that's prayer, is interceding between, you know, you, you, know, you, pray, you, you, you pray for those people who don't have the ability or, or the knowledge or aren't saved and aren't able to pray. You pray for your unsaved relatives. You pray for your family. And that's what, that's what Moses does. He cried unto the Lord, and it produced something. They were able to get water. Look at verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, notice this word, if, if, you, if you like to underline things in your Bible, underline this, this phrase. They said, is the Lord among us or not? That's an amazing, that's an amazing uh, statement to me. The Bible says that the Lord uh, will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Bible says when you got saved, He, he, he came to live in you, you belong to Him, and nothing can change that. But let me tell you something, just because God is constantly and always with you, sometimes you and I feel like we're alone. And the, that feeling, I believe in and of itself, is not a sin. It's what comes from the production of that feeling. What you produce from that feeling. See, if you, if you feel like, is the Lord among us or not, and it drives you to prayer, then praise the Lord for it. If you feel like, is the Lord among us or not, and it drives you to Bible reading, it drives you to preaching, it drives you to church, then praise the Lord for it. But if you feel like, is the Lord among us or not, and it drives you to complaining, then you've made a mistake. I, I, I didn't really plan this, but uh, I, I didn't pick the songs. I think my wife did, but I, I like that verse. We sang it. It's, like, it's just like His great love. Verse 3 says, When sorrows, clouds, or take me, and break upon my head, when life seems worse than useless, and I were better dead. Let me tell you something. We've, we've all felt like that at some point. Or you think, it'd just be better. You know, we had our little, it's a wonderful life moment where we thought, man, life would just be better without me. But notice, but here's the right attitude. And I were better dead. I take my griefs to Jesus then, nor do I go in vain, for heavenly hope He gives that cheers like sunshine after rain. See, that's the right attitude. When you say, well, well, it's just too, it's too much, it's, it's falling apart, this whole situation, this whole family's falling apart, this whole ministry's falling apart, this, my whole career's falling apart, my family, whatever it is, you say, I, it, it was better if I was just dead. Is the Lord with me or not? Allow that feeling when you feel like that. Don't make it drive you to complaining and drive you towards bitterness and anger. Allow it to drive you closer to God. Closer to Christ. Cry unto the Lord. There's a difference between complaining and crying. You complain about the situation God's put you to, or you cry to God about the situation He's put you to, and you'll be more effective, and you'll be more effective if you would learn to pray and cry unto the Lord. That's part one of this chapter. Look at part two. Verse eight. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, don't just pass this along, because the children of Israel have fought a few battles up to this point, right? But have you noticed they haven't actually fought any battles yet? I mean, the Lord has fought for them. Remember when, when Pharaoh was coming, the Bible said the Lord fought for them, and He did all those things with the cloud and the fire, and, and made the wheels fall off and all those crazy things. Remember that? 
But now we come to the very first time in Scripture that the children of Israel are actually going to fight a battle. Now keep in mind, these people for 430 and a few odd months have, you know, for 430 years they've been slaves. Well, a better part of 400 years. A few of those years they were, you know, just living in Egypt with Joseph. But for, for 400 years they've been slaves. And for a few months they've been free men in a desert complaining every corner about not having, you know, every time they, they turn around they're complaining about not having food or water or whatever. And now they have a nation coming after them who wants to fight against them. Look at verse, verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And God's going to make them grow here and take a step here. And He's not going to fight the battle. Now, He is going to fight the battle for them, but He's going to allow them to actually do the physical fighting and He's going to fight through them. Look at verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go out and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Remember Acts chapter number 7? The children of Israel represent the church in the wilderness, and that's you and I. We're the church in the wilderness right now. You say, the wilderness represents the world. You say, what represents heaven? Canaan land. One day we will go to our Canaan land. But right now we're the church in the wilderness. We're traveling in this, in this life. And let me tell you something. Just like the church in the wilderness here, the, this church in the wilderness is going to have to fight some battles at some point. We're going to have to fight some fights. And we're, and we're going to have some, some, some things we're going to have to do. And, and this building may be a fight that we're doing. You know, and that, that van was a fight for some of you <laughs> to give. <laughs> you know, but there's going to be situations, there are going to be things that we're going to have to do. And we're going to have to gather together as a congregation and fight. Let me tell you something. We can learn from the first fight of the children, the church uh, uh, at the wilderness. We can learn from their first fight how to fight a successful battle. And you can learn a few things. You say, well, what do you need? What do we need as a church to fight a successful battle? Well, number one, we're going to need the power of God. If you look at verse 9, it says, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out the men and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with, notice what it says, the rod of God in my hand. Now, if you remember that rod, uh, go, go, uh, go up to verse number 6. Behold, I stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. And the pe- no, that's not the verse I wanted. Uh, look at verse... Uh, 5. Uh, no, that's not the one I want either. I'm going to come to 5 here in a second. Hmm. Verse 5, maybe. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Yeah, it was verse 5. There you go. Wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. And what I want you to understand, and I'm not going to take the time to do it, because we don't have time, but yeah, I, if you remember when God called Moses... And he told him, take that rod. Remember what he did with the rod? He turned it into a serpent and he did all sorts of things with it. That's the same rod, by the way, that he used throughout the entire ten plagues. That rod there represents the power of God. That was the rod that he used to bring down the plagues, to bring the locusts, to bring the hell, to do all those things. That was the rod that he used to part the Red Sea. And that rod represents the power of God. And the first thing that Moses said when they're getting ready to fight this fight, he says, I want you to go out. And he says, but I want, uh, I want you to understand one thing. The, the one thing I'm going to have in this battle, Joshua, do you understand what he's saying? Look at verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men, and go out, fight 
fight with Amalek tomorrow. And he says, I will stand on the top of the hill. And he says, I'm not going to... You say, well, well Joshua might ask, well, uh, what are you going to stand on the top of the hill with Moses? You're going to stand on top of the hill with a sword? You can help us fight? He says, no. You're going to say, oh, I know what you're going to stand on top of the hill with. You're going to stand on top of the hill with a bow and arrow so you can shoot people, you know, uh, pluck them off from, from, from the top. And he says, no. Oh, are you going to stand there with, with one of those big old catapults, you know, and have, have a big old stone and just throw them in? And try? No. So what are you going to stand there? He says, this is my weapon, the rod of God. But that rod represents the power of God. Let me tell you something. You and I are going to have to fight some fights. Let me tell you something. Just get ready for it in the Christian life. The, the Christian life is just one fight after another fight after another fight. You say, I want to win my fight. You're going to have to learn to fight with the rod of God. Amen. With the power of God. You and I cannot do it in our flesh. We cannot win the battles in our flesh. We cannot preach. We cannot go soul winning. We cannot minister to people. We cannot raise our children. We cannot have successful marriages. We cannot live our life without the rod of God. The power of God. You say, well, what? what, what how do we get the power of God? Well, you got to understand that the rod not only represents the power of God, but the rod represents something that you make available. Look at verse 5 again. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before thy people, and take with thee the elders of Israel. Look what he says. And thy rod. And you, ask, you say, well, wait a minute. I thought it was the, the rod of God. Well, it's, it is the rod of God. But he says, it's, 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 rod, it's the rod of Moses. Well, it is the rod of Moses. It's the rod that Moses had. Remember, that was the rod that he had in the back, in the back side of the wilderness. And God took what he had in his hand. And God made it His and put His power. Let me tell you something. You say, I need something with the power of God. I'm going to get Benny Hinn to send me his handkerchief and I don't have the power of God. No. Keep your $29.99. It's just a sweaty handkerchief. That's it. There's nothing special about it. I'm going to get, you know, what's a famous Pentecostal preacher? Rod Parsley. Is that still a, is that a preacher? Is anybody? Yeah. Is that a preacher? Yeah. Okay. That's a show. Yeah, the show. <laughs> it's called the church service. No, <laughs> yeah, it is a show. That's all it is. But, you know, I'm going to get Ron Parsley to send me, you know what, these Pentecostals, $29.99, I'll send you my handkerchief. We're going to pray over it, and I'm going to put my sweat on it. This is the power of God. You know, they're going, they, they'll send you whatever. Their sock, their shoe, anything they'll do to get your money. You say, well, you see, the rod of God is not, the power of God is not in an object. But it's in what you make available. And when you make yourself available, God says, hey, take that rod. What rod? You. <laughs> you know, that's my rod. No, but it's also the rod of God if you make it available. And you need the power of God. Look, you'll never win a battle without the power of God. God teaches us as pastors what you need for a battle. He says, hey, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need the power of God. And it's manifested through us in ourselves if we make ourselves available. Not only that, but you're going to need a leader. Look at verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua. Moses is the leader of this church in the wilderness. He's a pastor. And he says to Joshua, do this. And I want you to notice, this is what I, like, this is what I love about Joshua. And you want to understand why Joshua was a, such... Because I don't know if you ever heard of the book of Joshua. <laughs> but Joshua ends up becoming the leader of the children of Israel. You say, well, what were his qualifications for being a leader? I'll show you exactly what his qualifications were. If you look at verse 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, skip down to verse 10, So Joshua did. <laughs> you know why Joshua was such a good leader? Because he was a good follower. You all know why Joshua was a good leader? Because when the man of God said, do this, the Bible says, the very next verse, it doesn't say, well, he hung around, he thought about it, he you know, talked to other people. It just says, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him. 
Say, Pastor, I'd love Verity Baptist Church, this church of the wilderness, to win some battles. Well, number one, we're going to need the power of God. Number two, we're going to need some leadership. Number three, we're going to need some followers. We're going to need some people who are going to say, you know what, what the man of God says, and look, let me tell you something, there's nothing special about this man of God. There's nothing special about Moses, I'll give you that. There's nothing special about this man of God. But this man of God has just as much of the Word of God as Moses did. And when Moses gives you the Word of God, and when this guy gives you the Word of God, your response ought to be, whatever the Bible says, I'll do it. That's how you win battles. You think the United States Army would be successful if everybody was out there just doing whatever they wanted? That's the Iraqis. <laughs> That's the Afghanis. You watch these people, they, they're just out there doing whatever they want. You know, I, when, when I was a teenager and we like first went into Afghanistan, I'd, I'd watch the videos of like when we were fighting. You'd watch these guys, I mean, they'd be like underneath, you know, like behind a car or behind a rock or something, and they come out with their little, you know, their whatever, AK-47, whatever that, and they just kind of like, and they have no direction. They're just like hoping they hit something, you know? But you watch our guys and they get up, you know, they teach you the most, I don't even remember, Brother Hudson can tell me. But you know, they teach you to, you know, to watch your target, to focus in, you take a breath, you hold your breath, you pull the trigger, and you go back down. And, 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 and they hit a lot more targets that <laughs> way. Well, well how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you exactly how that happened. Somebody said, do this, and they did that, and then they won the war. Or they won the battle, or whatever. I don't know, we haven't won anything yet, but you know what I mean. We fight battles when a leader says, do this. Now, in church, a leader ought to say, do this, because thus saith the Lord God. And then you say, Amen. And Moses said unto Joshua, verse 10, So Joshua did as Moses said to him. I said, number one, if we're going to win fights, we're gonna, uh, if we're going to win battles, we're going to need the power of God. We're going to need direction. We're going to need leadership. We're going to need followers. But more than just followers, I want you to notice, it will not get done with just one person. If you look at verse 10, notice what it says. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek, and I want you to notice these names. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. This is very interesting. So Moses is at the top of the hill, and he's watching this battle. And the Bible just tells us he's holding up his hands. I personally believe he's up there praying. And by the way, that's one of the... If you look at... I was going to take you there, but I'm not going to do it. But in 1 Timothy, it talks about holy men of God who you know, raising up their hands and praying. And by the way, actually, let me just go there so I can... Go, go to 1 Timothy. I'm not even sure. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, Let's see. First Timothy, chapter number two. First Timothy, chapter number two. Look at verse number eight. First Timothy, chapter two. Look at verse eight. Now, I'm just show you this. It says, "I will therefore that men pray everywhere." Now, notice what it says: lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. God tells us. God tells men. That when they pray, they ought to lift up their hands in prayer. Now, the neo-charismatic movement of today has taken that has, has taken that philosophy. But who's ever watched a bunch of people in a church service doing this? Now they take they take that from these type of passages. But let me tell you something. When Solomon raised up his hands, guess what he was doing? He was praying. When Moses raised up his hands, I believe he was praying. That's what I'd be doing <laughs> if I was Moses. 
And the children of Israel were in battle. And the Bible specifically tells us here, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without rather than nothing. Let me tell you, this is what I have, this is a problem I have with these, the neo-evangelical movement of today, is they don't study the Bible, they don't read the Bible, they're like, oh, it's like a rock concert, oh, it's so great. And they're lifting, and they're saying, we're worshiping Christ. But the Bible doesn't say you lift up your head while you're singing. You know? Don't lift up your hands while we're singing Amazing Grace. <laughs> but you know, you ought, but when you're in the privacy of your home and you're, and you're praying to God, you know, if you're a man, lift up your hands. The Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Now here's the, here's the disclaimer, look what it says. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. Make sure they're holy hands. You know, don't just lift up hypocritical hands. But the Bible tells us to lift up our hands when we're praying. But the Jehovah's Witnesses today, they want to they do all this and put on a show. Go back to Exodus uh, 17. I believe Moses was up there praying. But here's the interesting thing. Moses is lifting up his hands. I believe he's praying. I honestly do. And I, and I think I can prove it. You know, not from this passage, but from other passages. Because all throughout Scripture, you find men praying and they're lifting up their hands. And the Bible tells us to lift up their hands. And, and it just makes sense. What would you be doing up there? You know, having a sandwich? I mean, I think he's up there just, God, please help us. But here's the other thing. He's praying to God. He's crying to God. And they're winning. And then he puts his hands on it and he begins to lose. <laughs> Do you see the emphasis of prayer? And he says, well, what, what's going on? What, he says, you better get back to prayer. He says, God, please help them. And then he starts winning again. And he says, oh, that's good now. And he says, oh, good, good, good. And then they start losing it. And, and they figure out, man, when you're in the position of prayer, we win. And when you're not in the position of prayer, we lose. Let me tell you something. We need prayer. Say, I want to win a battle. You need the power of God. I want to win a battle. You need leadership. I want to win a battle. You need fellowship. I want to win a battle. You need prayer. You need prayer. You need prayer. You need prayer. And when he lifted up his hands, they won. And when he put down his hands, they lost. But guess what? You do this for 10 minutes and see if you can do it. So getting tired. Look what it says. Look at verse 12. And Moses' hands were heavy. Let me tell you something. Leadership cannot do it at all. You think Pastor Jimenez and Miss Joanne Jimenez and, and, and Jocelyn Joel can build this church? You're, you're, and Elizabeth Rose, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Moses could not do it on his own. It says, but Moses' hands were heavy. But notice, and they, who's the they there? Aaron and her, took a stone and put it under him. He said, here, sit down. And he sat there on. Notice what it says. And Aaron and her, look what it says, stayed up his hands. You want to you know what, what's a good, uh, a good way to realize what a healthy church is? When the man of God, I'm not specifically talking about myself, I'm talking about Moses, lifts up his hands and he says, I, I cannot do this anymore. And people come alongside and say, here, let us help. That's how you win battles. That's you know you know what I was, I was so excited I was so excited on Monday night when the men were just like taking over this whole like building thing, you know. And I, I mean to the point where I had to like step in and say like stop, you know, don't do it, you know. But that was exciting to me because you know what that means to me that they were excited about it and they're like all arguing and fighting with each other. We gotta do this and we gotta do that and whatever, you know. And I'm just like praise the Lord that there's men because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it if I tried, and I don't have the time to do it. But there's men who say, here, Pastor Walker. Here, Pastor Walker. Hey, let me tell you something. The way battles are won in your family, you're not going to win a battle in your family. Like, can I, 
the Bible says that a house cannot stand when it's divided against itself. But you get rallied around together as a church family, as a physical family, as a business, as whatever, and you say, man, here, let, let us help, Moses. You can't, live, you can't keep your hands up here. Let us help, help you put your, here, have a seat, and we'll, we'll keep your hands up. And guess what they were doing together now? They were all praying together. They were all spiritual together. Look at verse 12. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. The one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. See, before they were weary. Before they were tired. Before they were saying, I can't do this. But somebody stayed them up and said, here, I'll help. And now they're steady. And they're able to win. Let me give you one more thing. Look at verse 13. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. He, God says to, to Moses, I don't want you to forget this. Write it down. So what do you write it down? Book of Exodus, chapter number 17. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. And this is why I want you to, to write it. And rehearse it in the ears of, notice, Joshua. For I will utterly put in remembrance the Amalekites uh, from under heaven. But I want you to notice, God says, I don't want you to forget this. I want you to remember this. And I'm not going to trust your memory, Moses. I want you to write it down. And when you write it down, I want you to rehearse it. I want you to go over it. I want you to remind. And he said, I want you to specifically remind this guy, Joshua. You say, well, well, why is that? Well, here's the reason why. And I already told you. God already had planned who was going to take over that church of the world. And God said, you know that young generation that's coming up? God said, Moses, there's no point of winning a battle just to win a battle. But if you win a battle, and you take that, and you show the next generation, and rehearse it in the ears of the next generation, and you explain to that next generation, here's how we won that battle, Joshua. I just want you to remember, Joshua, we won the battle when the men of God came together, and they held up the arms of God, and we had the rod of God, and we had the power of God, and we had the prayer of God. Let me tell you something. You wonder why Joshua stood up and said, we're going into Canaan land, and then those children, the children of Israel there, that new generation, that young man stood up when Moses died and he said, be thou strong and very courageous and he went into that land and the walls of Jericho came up and they just went through and took over that land and they conquered and fought and did all those battles. You think this is effective at a young age? I told, I told the men, you guys start working on that building, you take a lot of pictures. That was nice memories, yeah, because we got to remind these kids coming up, these children. My Joshua needs to remember the battles we fought and explain to them, here's how we did it, son, and here's where we went, and here's what we can do. Why? Because the next leader needs to have that memory so that he can step up, and he can do it. So he can fight that battle. So he can go out and win those wars. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 14, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. And he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church, Lord, and thank you for the opportunity to study the Bible. And Lord, just pray you'd help us and bless us, Lord, and bless our church. And I believe we've got so many battles to fight in the very near future, but also in general. 
And Lord, I just ask that you'd bless, bless this time and bless us, Lord. We love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen.